Welcome to That's No Longer My Ministry, a podcast that tells a different story about healing. A story of healing as discipline, as real, hard, and uncomfortable work. This is a place where we honor the journeys of marginalized folk actively purging years of programming and the consequence of never being centered. A place for acknowledging and moving through trauma. A place where radical self-liberation is sought and no is a complete sentence. You should listen if you're someone who wants to build the kind of life you don't need to escape from. I'm your host, Nadia, a black woman who has spent way too much time trying to fit into a number of spaces that weren't and still aren't meant for me. But that's no longer my ministry. You look fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I think that you cheated because you told me that um, just come as you are. I'm like, oh, fine. This is this is the mess. <laughs> the jammy shirt. Um, I'm here as I am. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So I'll start the way I start every recording, which is I ask my guest, how are you feeling right now in your mind and your body? Okay. So this is, did you just I, ask me? I just asked you. <laughs> I thought I'd be like, all right, all right, all right. Um, I think uh, I'm at a great, uh, I completed one year in America. So it's been a year here. And I'm constantly, yesterday, there's this app called Presently, which uh, helps in recording. Like you just have to write what you're grateful about, maybe that day or that month. And I was going through that yesterday because it's been like a year. And uh, I was like, there's so many things to be grateful about. Like my language has changed and I perceive people. Uh, my relationship with my mother and father uh, has tremendously changed, which is funny because there's so much gap, both physical as well as other kinds of gap, but it's kind of helped in um, getting us clo- closer. It's kind of hilarious almost, but that's happened. and. I am taking care of my health. I am not being finicky about what I eat. I eat what I want to eat. That's yeah. a great sign. Uh, I'm cooking. I am um, swimming. Not, you know, when I first, uh, when I was first inside the pool and I was inside the pool after I think five years because I've had a few surgeries and um, health issues and I got very competitive because people beside me, they were like swimming really fast. And I was like, I need to, I, I used to swim like competitively um, in school. And then I was like, oh my God, I have to be better. But then I realized that, oh, oh no, I don't want to have a heart attack in the middle of the pool. I, I want to be able to do this for myself. And I think the process of swimming has been so, um, as you would say, meditative in the sense that this is something that my coaches actually didn't teach me. When you're swimming, you're not supposed to look up. You're supposed to look down. Hmm. So you're actually not looking at the people beside you. You're trying to work on how your body moves in the water. There's yeah. something called a glide. So you're trying to move as smoothly, cutting through the water as smoothly as possible. And I didn't know that. I was constantly looking around and Finally, I know that I'm trying to glide as much as possible. So I would say I'm at a better place, but I'm also at a place wherein, um, I mean, we all are in a pandemic still. There is not just one, the two, three, four. 
I got a message today. Uh, my best friend said, girl, this monkey box is... <laughs> she's in New York City and she's like, what's happening? Honestly, are we uh, going to get a break? Are we going to um, get a break? I'm anything. Like, <laughs> and, and then... And then she was like, oh, the CDC recommends, um, gay, uh, you know, stay away from gay men. And I'm like, of course, of course. Oh, that's what CDC has to recommend. <laughs> I don't know why that's what the CDC continues to recommend. Yeah, everything. I'm like, it, it's, 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 and I think I was thinking about this while thinking about your podcast. I'm just like, let's stop, you know, gay men may be the problem, but clearly we are, we have to go beyond that cycle of, you know, saying that gay men are the reason why things are happening. It's clearly not working, you know. There are pandemics happening all the time, so I just I mean, don't a different think, reason. I just don't think it's gay men. I think it's homophobia. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think it's exactly. the fact that we're pinning everything on gay men, but actually not looking at the issues Absolutely. of the virus. Like that. There's just so much to say on that. But well, actually, what were you just about to say on that? Because I feel like. I just feel like the making pandemics and diseases, like pushing them in the realm wherein there's an anxiety around sexuality is such a trope that's been used again and again, whether that be HIV, monkeypox, um, you know, all the other diseases and issues as well. It's, we, we have to learn that, you know, anxiety around sex is not helping us with any of these things. It's just pushing us into um, more homophobia, more transphobia, more mm -hmm. sexphobia, if I can say so. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I already got a lot from you in just asking you how you're <laughs> feeling right now, um, but <laughs> there's a lot of holes. So I just, for my listeners' um, context, this is the first time I've ever had a conversation with you. And I would like you to introduce yourself to me and the listeners um, by saying who you are, your name, mm -hmm. who you are. And, and when I say who you are, that can be anything that you want to share. I tend not to ask people what they do for a living because that's not really necessarily who you are. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I also want to hear, like, what are some of the values that you live by? Hmm. Well, that's a great question. So to you and the viewers, my name is Mayuk Barua. And I would identify myself as, first of all, a proud queer man. Um, and I'm from a city called Gohati, which is in the state of Assam in India. It's in the northeast part of India. And um, I have a um, family, which includes my mom, dad, my grandmother, a dog named Milo, and Milo, Milo, however you enunciate that, and a younger brother, I am queer, I'm brown, I'm proud, I'm femme, I'm fabulous, I'm wrong, I'm light, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Those are mostly it. And I'm doing a, my MFA in fiction from NC State, so North Carolina State University. And I write a lot about the politics of the family. I write about queerness within the South Asian context, mostly India. And I write about art and how we interact with art and what it means to us. That's mostly broadly my focus and how I would identify myself. I like, we started going on just like word mapping. Like you just started giving us words for, and I love that. You're a lot of things and I love that. 
Yeah, and I, um, I'm also a teacher. I forgot, I really wanted to put that in. I'm currently teaching young students and teenagers, high schoolers and middle schoolers here. And I tell them, and this is what I begin my writing workshops with like, uh, as we grow, we have to understand that contradictions can exist simultaneously. Mm. And so whenever I'm saying all these things that I'm right and wrong, mm. um, there's no ambiguity in it. That is the sentence. And um, both can exist in the same realm without contradicting each other necessarily. Yeah, and I, I love doing that. I, I love confusing people a bit. <laughs> It's not confusing to me. I will say this is exciting for me because one thing that I say over and over again to people, especially as Mm -hmm. they're going through hard times and they're saying, you know, I'm scared, but I'm also really Mm -hmm. happy. I'm like, both things can exist at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like all these things can exist at the same time. And I feel like the more we acknowledge that, the better Mm -hmm. we end up feeling because we can honor all the feelings we have at once. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of the values I live by, um, that's such a good question because I haven't like interacted with that question for such a long time. I mean, you don't get that question across and when you're in the dating pool. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. It should be, right? It should be. And um, some of my values, um, I can tell you some of my like, um, some of the things I live by, despite whatever happens, if there's an earthquake, there's a pandemic, there's an operation, doesn't matter. These things will happen. Mm-hmm. One is I will keep in touch with my friends. Um, that sense of trust, loyalty, consistency is what I value. I need it for myself and also in order to make, in order to feel that I am, I have a purpose in a way, and it's to be able to provide community as well as receive community from people. Second value, I have an extensive skincare care routine. <laughs> okay, tell the people what you do because they need to know. Okay, skincare every day. Exactly. And, and, I, and I tell, you know, people, um, usually I used to be mocked when I, when I was young. I used to be like, oh, you know, why are you putting on makeup? And I'm like, it's not makeup, it's a moisturizer. <laughs> but um, now people are like, oh, tell me, tell me, tell me. And I'm like, you know, if I give you a 10-step routine, you wouldn't do it just start with sunscreen mm. like start with protection and I love that's the beauty of skincare I um it is for yourself but then also it has so many other things going on right it in the sense that uh you have to do skincare across like time in order to benefit from it essentially you know it's not a one-day thing yeah things happen acne happens not because you're not doing skincare, it happens because it's who you are, that's your body. Um, it, and you know, you will have a scar, you will have an acne all the time. The skincare enables you to understand that you will do the skincare despite all these things, despite aberrations. You will heal yourself, trust yourself, despite the things that are happening to you. You, know, you don't give up on your skincare just because you have one acne, you know, or you don't, or you don't like add too many like, actives on your skin just because you have an acne you you keep on doing it I think that kind of daily ritual practice of loving oneself is something I tell everyone to do you know don't do skincare like try to love yourself and also like the idea of the body and the idea of the face um, that comes across in the skincare all the time right I ask myself why am I doing this am I doing this to look pretty am I doing this as my therapist would say to moisturize my soul (laughs) 
um, what am, why am I doing this? You're constantly asking. And then you realize you don't always need to have this purposefulness. You need to, the fact that you're active, the fact that you're doing it is, is a good sign, is a great sign. Yeah. That's another one of my values. And um, books. I, <laughs> I don't know how to put in within a value, but I think I was telling my friend the other day, like, I really need people around me who can engage with ideas. It doesn't matter where they're from. And I think reading allows for that kind of curiosity and expansion. And um, that is one value that um, I think I am attracted to mm. and something that I feel, I hope I, that is something I can inspire within people to be able to be curious and to be willing to expand themselves when yeah. they're thinking. Yeah, so those are my values, yeah. Those are good. We haven't gotten those ones on the podcast yet, especially not skincare. And I will say, even when everything else goes to shit in my life, mm -hmm. I'm consistent with skincare. I've never had a beautiful reason for it. Like you described, I feel like that's my reason, but <laughs> it, it just Take feels it. good. Like first thing in the morning, all the, I have a lot of steps and last thing at night, a lot of steps, but I do like start with SPF because y'all, even if it's not sunny outside, absolutely get that SPF on your face, protect yourself, keep yourself nice and smooth and moisturized. It's one of my favorite things. We're going to move into the first segment. Right. It's called So We've Been Told. And this also sheds a little light on how we connected. So I got a email from you um, soliciting our anthology something that is in progress right now it's on pause because life is happening but i really felt connected to your essay topic and i wanted to dive in more in a live format so this is kind of perfect um i even pulled a couple lines that i wanted to share from just the um the submission it's not actually the essay but the title of this essay is called apparently i am dirty now um and i love that you spoke to the idea of how language of dirt is being used to alienate and other marginalized bodies in the context of India, which you said is your focus when you, when you write. But um, I, I really want to talk about this sentence, which is the thing I want to highlight is how all of us are essentially dirty in some way or form. Our hmm. inability to see our own dirt takes away from our humanity. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you were thinking there, because personally, like I, you know, we hear dirt as a bad thing, right? Um, even the feeling of like my house being dirty gives me so much anxiety because like I tend to let things get out of control when my depression manifests. Mm -hmm. And so like, as things get dirtier, I feel like it's like a physical manifestation of my depression. So when you talk about us looking at our own dirt, I'm wondering what you mean and how maybe I can reframe some of my thinking. Oh yeah, thank you so much. It's um I think this was this essay it's short. Uh it's I think just um I would say 10 pages in a way and it's really personal because I think it goes through and I have a very particular um in my writing I always attack people who are close to me. <laughs> <laughs> my oh. mom, my dad, my best friends, my lovers, I always attack them. And um, it goes through, if I can describe uh, the essay, it goes through my father, it goes through uh, 
two of my really close friends it goes to one of the uh, men i was dating mm. and i was looking at how consistently there is an anxiety of being clean you know like you should be consistently clean my dad used to hold napkins all the time and he was so particular about like getting holding napkins i was like why why are you so invested in and you wouldn't even use them it's just like it's there for safety mm. and i'm like you know it doesn't make sense you're so aggressive about it and i really brought this essay up because i wanted to love myself in a way and i wanted to stop looking at things about me that wasn't working mm. and i think uh within the language of dirt we get we encounter that this hatred for our own self mm. um because we are as um i think this has been addressed in one of your other previous episodes i forgot which one it was we are messy in a sense we are people who aren't clean you know we and i think the female body is such a good embodiment because it's constantly seen as it wants to be painted within the image of purity yeah but it's constantly told as as perceived as dirty right when you are menstruating you're dirty when you're pregnant you're dirty uh when you are are um when you have hair you're dirty when you're sweating you're dirty there's so many instances when you're just dirty but who are you talking about you have hair that's men you have mm-hmm. hair you stink like what are you talking about like have you gone into a men's bathroom like what are we exactly. talking about exactly what are we talking about and um I, 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 the first uh, it starts from my father and then goes actually into my um friends and my friends are actually talking about each other and they're saying oh she's dirty she doesn't she doesn't wash her clothes and then uh, one of my friends she doesn't wash her clothes and I, i was telling her i really like her you know i like her because she's so um enjoyable and nice and gregarious and my friends are no 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 she is not very proper with her how she takes care of herself mm-hmm. and i go to the other friend and i tell and i was just talking to her and she's like are you talking to her she's very dirty she puts too much makeup mm-hmm. and i was re- i realized how both of them are using the word dirty in their own convenience they're yeah. using it to just separate themselves from the other person and establish a sense of superiority um rather than looking at each other's dirtiness and realizing they were essentially in the same pit you know and i think the last sequence is actually that of my um, one of my quote unquote men and he looked into my ear one day and he was like oh my god you have dirty ears clean them and i was like so invasive <laughs> what are you saying you you licked this ear yesterday night <laughs> I was like what are you saying like what what's happening right. and i realized like desiring it, desiring bodies desiring people therefore like the realm of the bedroom is so interesting in thinking about dirty because people say talk dirty to me let's do dirty stuff mm-hmm. right it's this moment of intimacy mm-hmm. that you have with another body recognizing that you can be dirty with another body therefore it's so intimate mm. and that's what i wanted to establish for ourselves why can't we be intimate with ourselves sometimes i come back and my mom constantly says you know just dust the room and you know don't sleep in dirt and i tell myself that i'll do that tomorrow maybe not today it's important to you know i'm not trying to say be unhygienic that's not what i'm trying to say but yeah. i'm trying to say is that we have to really look in critically into 
why we want to be so clean. What is this desire that we have, that we have inherited of cleanliness? And within the essay, I write about the colonial and casteist uh, systems in India that within the class structure and ca- within the caste system, you have the, the lowest the, the Dalit class doing things like cleaning the toilets. So the association of dirt has been associated with certain class of people who cannot move ahead in, within the social structure. And therefore... It's not just um, about this. I'm not just writing about this personalized vision of, oh, dirtiness is something we have to support. But we have inherited from colonialism, casteism that is set by Brahminical men, um, that being dirty is bad, but being dirty is who we are. Um, And we need to draw, we need to be able to accept it in so many fundamental ways. And I always tell people that, you know, I hope you find a lover that, accepts your dirt, you know, accepts those folds of your skin that you can't see and um, wipes the corner of your eyes, uh, which you sometimes find disgusting yourself. And isn't that what our mothers do? Isn't that the deepest, truest love um, anyways about, you know? Man, you just took me on a whole journey. (laughs) That is, I love, I love, well, now I need to read the essay, but also I love the different pieces of it like even just starting with the female body because something you said in the in the very end was like you're not talking about being unhygienic um which I think is something that when people or when people when men um I'm gonna go ahead and say white men criticize the female body because I'm thinking of like black women black women are generally characterized as dirty Mm -hmm. there's actually like a over cleansing that ends up happening when we talk about this a lot because they expect us to be so pure, because our bodies are clean, we tend to over cleanse, which is actually unhealthy, mm-hmm. um, which is actually changing your body chemistry. Mm-hmm. And something that like has keeps coming out for me from this from this um, conversation is just like being quote unquote dirty is just allowing us to be, which is what our like bodies want, right? When we talk about these different products, like I'm I'm specifically talking about like cleaning you know, our private parts, right? And Mm. like using like douches and all of these Mm. things that actually change your pH and aren't good for you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's because you're not just allowing your body to take care of itself the way it naturally would Mm -hmm. and just be. There's nothing necessarily dirty about being, but we've just associated it with that because of this colonial mindset of being pure. And I feel like when we take a step back from it and, and really talk about just allowing, you know, yourself to be dirty with one another and how that is a really intimate experience. It, it is true. Like when I think about myself with my partner, he has seen me in all the States and it doesn't, that's why we're so close. Mm-hmm. So like what kind it's, it's interesting how we've associated dirt with something so negative when it comes out in some of our most intimate and pure moments. It's just very, I, I love this idea of just being, just allowing ourselves to be dirty. Absolutely. And um, I, I had this conversation with my um, friend the other day and was telling me there was this Twitter account called The Considerate Top. <laughs> and <laughs> basically this guy, it's very important. This guy was telling people on, um, basically the people in health because Twitter is where 
hell is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but um, uh, but he was telling me about how um, when people start um, being a passive or the recipient within a uh, homosexual interaction, they constantly think about shitting, right? That's like something that they, oh my God, I'm going to shit, I'm going to shit. Yeah. And what was so interesting um, that was written in that Twitter post was that those things happen. And those things happen because the body is not used to that kind of sexual activity in general. And the considerate top, therefore, or any person who is considerate and understands how the body works, wouldn't def- wouldn't call you out just because your body is functioning in a way that it should, you know. You know. Right. And it's a great metaphor to see that um, the demand that men have and like white men, if I can say so, around how perfect the body needs to be for sexual pleasure is wrong because it, it doesn't satisfy us in any way, right? right. That, that intimacy and that desire actually comes from the grime and the grittiness mm-hmm. that we're constantly trying to cleanse. Um, and I think more than anything else, we need to inquire into it. I, I understand that saying this, telling people to be comfortable with their dirtiness is, is a bit too risque and people wouldn't understand it and people would be like, so do I just sleep in my muck? <laughs> but um, I think it's more, you have to inquire into how you've been constantly told, not just by um, the, the guy across the street, but in school, by your girlfriends, by your aunties, by your uncles. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to inquire, you have to challenge them. Why is it that it is um, bad for me and my dirtiness to exist in this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what, what does it mean? What, what kind of inheritance are we providing people who are young if we don't correct it, if we don't correct it, right? right. What, what, what is my brother inheriting? What is my nephews and nieces inheriting? Um, as people who have control not I wouldn't use the word control but who have a sense of language Mm -hmm. I think it's our responsibility to use language in a way that creates a positive change that's the least we could do yeah yeah that's like what this entire segment is about so (laughs) what a nice bow that you just wrapped uh, (laughs) that up with so this is the best part of the podcast because this is when I get to ask you what is no longer your ministry so because I confused you earlier, I'm actually going to ask you <laughs> right now what is no longer your ministry <laughs> so many things <laughs> so many things I don't know why and this is a bad um tendency and uh but you know I to be fair I'm a writer uh, I thought uh, Arundhati Roy had a book called The Ministry of Utmost Happiness, and it was about uh, trans women in India and um, her journey through um, uh, the Gujarat riots and uh, all the turmoil that's happening, her being a marginalized body. And I was just thinking about George Orwell's, uh, you know, 1940, uh, 1940s, wait, 19th. 84, yes, George Orwell's 1984, Ministry of Love, Ministry of Peace, Ministry of Plenty. And I was like, this is such a beautiful, like, um, beautiful title because we talk about ministry through through the idea of governance. And you're like, I want to let go of this 
governance that I have, this um, constantly trying to control things and actually letting go and unraveling it. And to that, uh, this is a very pageanty answer. <laughs> you have to win uh, the big pageant. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> God, oh, it's too pageanty. But yeah, thank you so much. But I think one of the things that I personally feel that I can share uh, with people is letting go of distrust that would no longer be my ministry. Just as a person who grew up in a space where everything was volatile and I was a femme body in my performance. Mm. And I think it was even more volatile for me um, in school, back at home, just not just like physically, but also emotionally. And I, as you said, as my survival mechanism was to distrust people. And I would like constantly try to have plan A's, plan B's, plan C's, so that, okay, if if this person is not good, then I'm going to do this in order to like jump off this boat. And, you know, as you grow up, a lot of things in life, I feel like outweighs some of the anxieties that you built up, like rent, <laughs> gas <laughs> prices, um, intimacy, finding someone. And so many things just weigh heavy on you. All of the things that I've learned to survive in a way, survive my childhood, survive my childhood trauma is currently not letting me become an adult in a way wherein I can enjoy and not become my mother and father, you know? Mm, yeah. Uh, not that it's a bad thing to become one's mother and father, but I think sometimes we inherit some of the worst tendencies um, and we forget the good things that they have actually given to us. So I was one of those people who constantly concentrated on the worst of my inheritances. Mm. And I had a lack of trust. I, I was like, I'm going to trust only a few people. But then I realized, I realized I have to open up. If I'm a writer, if I have to connect to people, I have to be able to trust everyone. Um, and it's difficult. It's difficult yeah. often ask to do that. But... You know, maybe it's religion for some people. So, you know, I'm in the South, you know, North Carolina is kind of considered in the South. And it's, a, I would say it's a religious, there is a strong religious community, Christian community. Yeah. And uh, people are like, oh my God, you're dating crazy Christians, conservative Christians. I'm like, it is true. But at the same point of time, I think I will never, this is what my mother taught me. Uh, I had a huge fight with her and uh, I mocked her on how she prayed so many times and things were not working for her mm. and then she looked me straight in the eye and sometimes I love when parents do that when they correct you and for <laughs> the right reasons she said uh, never mock me for things that help me uh, go through life if mm. this is my mechanism you have to respect it and I respect that I respect people religion I respect faith I respect skincare I respect lovers I respect self-medication I do I really genuinely do I'm not saying that everything is right, right but I respect people's whatever makes people willing to trust the universe mm. and I think I want to do that without without something like religion without something like um, um, medication you know like yeah I want to do that on my own terms so I would say 
that's no longer my ministry. Would you say, because you mentioned some of this coming, like being passed down from your parents, are your parents distrustful people? Like, is that something that you learned from them? Wow, that's so, my mom and dad are so cynical. Oh my God. I was telling them about like, um, (laughs) there was someone, there's an international student coming in and he doesn't have a place to stay for the first two days. And I was like, you know, just come over, you know, stay at my place, you know. And my mom was like, no, 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 don't do that. What if he steals? What if he does do this? What if he does that? And I'm like, sure, he may, but like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, that, could but happen. I, that could happen. That could possibly happen. But at the same time, I trust my instincts to be able to navigate the situation. I did talk to him. I have had like interactions with him. So it's not like it's just coming out, like I'm just randomly picking some stranger up. And I think maybe for them, it could be like, my is my child an adult or he, is he still a child? Maybe that's something that's going in their head. But also like, as you said, they're very cynical in general. They're like, don't do this, don't do that. Don't eat yeah. apples. It has GMOs. Don't eat that. It has this. I'm like, you know, I have to, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it right. out. That's what I say. You know, we'll figure it out. <laughs> But it sounds like, in, I mean, at least in that scenario, it sounds like you are moving in a space of, yes, but I trust myself. Because in that scenario, like, sure, he could steal from you. I mean, my parents would say the exact same thing. My parents are also, like, very paranoid. Mm-hmm. That being said, con- contextually, my dad grew up in Nigeria. People are always doing mm-hmm. wild things <laughs> you wouldn't expect, even for, like, yeah. family members. I'm sure you understand yeah because um, this happens in a lot of different countries but yeah. like stuff like that so I understand what's fueling the distrust and the paranoia that being said I also ha- have had to work on myself and being like yes and I know the space that I live in I know I know when I can tell something's off I might not always get it right but I do trust myself in a lot of ways and so do you feel like your you know, dis like letting go of distrust. Is it distrust of others? Is it distrust of yourself? Is it both? I think it's both. I think the key, uh, if I can say so, if I can uh, turn the language around, is to be able to empower myself in my decision-making process. And um, I was thinking about it, like in order to take a decision, whether that's a date, whether that's a, you know, dress, whether that's a anything I you know you have to go through Google you have to go through friends you have to go. I it is important to be informed but also like I've constantly been asking myself how clean does my gut need to be in order to make an intuitive decision like mm. um, like when they say you know trust your gut what do they mean I want yeah. to know that I want to know and feel that that my gut is telling me this is it it pounds you know maybe it knocks or something I don't know but like <laughs> I want to feel that and I want to build towards it. Clearly, it's something that, you know, women talk about this and I'm constantly jealous because I'm just surrounded by women all the time and they would say, you know, my gut is telling me this. Yes. And I would be like, how do you know that? I want to know that. Um, and that's something I want to have as, as a, I, I don't know if I can say the word skill, but that's not the right word, but a gift, if I can say so. Um, and uh, I love, I love the feminine energy around me. And it's, it's, it's helped me survive, you know, it's yeah. helped me um, literally live through things. Um, and uh, if there's one thing that I never ever undermine is that female energy, regardless of 
whatever happens. I want to get into something personal. When I was young, uh, my father um, had a, um, he, he used to have a very short uh, fuse mm-hmm. and um, he was um, kind of just volatile and violent. I think men at a certain age, maybe because of like the midlife crisis or you know things not working out and stuff, it happens, especially I think with the global South, because it's so frustrating in so many ways to navigate issues yeah. um, like water, electricity. These are things that, you know, we have to struggle with, you know, yeah. that's the reality. And I mean, I'm at a point where I don't blame him, but there was a time when I used to. And I used to, he was so volatile that I didn't understand if it was me or it was him that was the issue. Like, am I the one who's making a mistake or he's just having a bad time? And I would go back and I would think a lot. And it would, like, sometimes he would ask me something and I would freeze because I'm like, am I going to be beaten up if I say something? And I think over time, I obviously uh, rebelled against it. I stood up for myself I in many ways physically and um, emotionally and verbally and all these other ways and I'm proud of myself but at the same time I think that really and as a gay man I'm also dating men so that's another layer of like mistrust not not trusting men you know like because yeah. that is the image that I grew up around so I think that's where I want to like I think quote-unquote my healing happens through an ability to trust that I will be able to find comfort and love within a person who is complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, thank you for sharing that about your dad and and your experience with him. And I think there's, there's something regardless of what kind of abuse, I would say there's a lot of emotional abuse, physical abuse in a lot of different families. And I, I know at least from the emotional abuse side, um, which I can relate to. And and I have a friend who I talk to. It's that feeling when you don't trust yourself. It's also that feeling of I might get in trouble. Like, I feel like that's that's a feeling I have as a 31 year old. I might get in trouble. But it's like, who <laughs> who is getting you in trouble in this scenario? But it's like something that has been built into my way of 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 thinking and fearing since I was like 10, like since I was really young of just like, if you don't say the right thing, if you don't do the right thing, and the right thing is always in the context of whoever the other person is on the other side. So there really is no right way, but it's the way that they want it to happen, the way that they want to hear you, that just getting that wrong, you're in trouble. Yeah. Um, and it's it's so interesting. Like I very much can empathize with this idea of not being able to even trust your own gut because yeah. you're constantly weighing what might get you in trouble. So, I, and yeah, that just really struck me because I, I think about how, how hard that is for a lot of us to, like, how do you overcome that? Well, let's talk about how you overcome that because that's <laughs> our next segment. It's the work for me. And, and I, I mean, I've already heard you talk about a few things that, you know, you have you moving into trusting relationship that's doing work right because you're that's not very comfortable also you know the decision to surround yourself with feminine energy that's mm-hmm. also doing work and so i'd love that's to work exactly yeah it is work and 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 i would love to hear more about that and other ways that you work at 
trusting yourself, trusting others, just building more trust into your lifestyle? Maybe I could start with like the mechanism of shame. I think I what struck me when you just, what you just said was like, how I would be constantly told, and this this appears in the Roe versus Wade argument, mm-hmm. how like there is a very specific idea of family. There's a very specific idea of motherhood. There's a very specific idea of what you need to do to participate in society. And one of that specific idea is the family is very sacred. And uh, our parental figures are figures of nurture. And what it does, it does a disservice to us as well as them, because they are also dynamic and we are also dynamic as children. And I think in order to like keep that pressure on the idea of the family, keeping it constantly sacred, keeping it this rosy, lovey-dovey situation, we use shame. You're constantly like, if you have negative thoughts around the relationship with your mom and dad, you should be ashamed. Yeah. There's, some, oh, there's a problem with you. And that's something I, the recognizing shame and its mechanism is something we should do, not just in this, but in everything else, like sexuality, gender identity, but our body, you know, friendships, all of these things. Um, but I think one of the ways in which I could do it, and I say this to people all the time, therapy. 100%. <laughs> I was telling this to, this to high school students and I shouldn't, but I was telling them, what is similar about writing and therapy? Like I was asking them this question, what do you think is similar between the writing process and the therapeutic process? It sounds <laughs> absurd, right? Telling high school students go to therapy, but I mean... No, <laughs> I think people should tell them more. <laughs> yeah, and I, 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 and I, again, I, the question that I posed was, what's similar about therapy and writing and why the writing process can be so therapeutic? I, I said, both these spaces give you language. They give you language. So when you're going to therapy, you, you know, people ask me, so I want to go to therapy. Will this help with this, this, this? Therapy is not a um, online shopping website. You're not going to go there, get things that you want. What happens within a therapeutic space, at least my experience of therapeutic space, is that it gives you language to understand that these things are happening to you. You know, it's, it's funny how like, like the fact that we don't recognize some of the issues that we have or are unwilling to create so much turmoil and turbulence. Yeah. And that's where I think a part of healing is literally having that language. Mm-hmm. It's literally saying that I'm sad, I'm upset, I am um I feel petrified, I feel disgusted, you know. Yeah. Literally that has the kernel of healing in it. Because you're saying, okay, I recognize it. How do I move? Where do I go from here? Right. And if someone asks, you know, someone could ask you, where, where do you want to go? And then you're like thinking with them. These two are the way. And the third most important ways, important way in which I heal is by laughing and gossiping. Yes. Oh, speak on that. Tell us yeah. about it. <laughs> I love laughing and gossiping. I this is why, or at least this is why I'll claim to watch so many reality shows is because I live for the gossip in the show. I don't even need to know the people. Just give me some good gossip. Give me good gossip. And and I have a point. Trust me, I have a point. And it's not just like what we would say laughing and gossiping looks like in the above. Uh, I tell this to people like when I was growing up, I was constantly told, don't laugh too hard. Mm. you look like a crazy person don't gossip it's what women do and I realized 
both these two entities are things that we're constantly pushing into the marginal space because it doesn't reflect the family values, right? Mm. The crazy and the woman who gossips are not a part of the family u- unit. And sorry to get into that kind of the- theory space, but uh, w- w- what I'm essentially trying to say is laughing and gossiping will give you community. Like uh, in, a, in, in a crude way, like, you know, the enemy of, the enemy of the enemy is your friend kind of thing. You know, you should talk someone, you find community, you laugh, you share your, you know, cries, values, um, and you find someone who understands you in a way. Yeah. And when someone understands you, it's it's so easier to find um, acceptance from through someone else's eyes, you know. It's sad. You know, one should be able to accept oneself, yes, but it's easy and we should be able to have that for ourselves yeah you know we should be able to see value through others when we need to i mean our own self-worth is very important but at the same time i think uh, how others value us is also very important and i think it has that kernel of healing because so much of like what i think how i think and how i present myself at this point of time is through my friends you know those female powerhouses um um they challenge me, they question me, um, and the gay men, of course. <laughs> Don't leave them out. Don't leave them out. First and foremost, the female powerhouses. Yes. Secondly, the gay men. I, I unfortunately don't have a lot of like um, straight male friends. I mean, they stay away from me. What can I? What can I do? You know. Um, but um, they're hard to be friends. Let's be very clear. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I mean, I love my straight friends, um, who, who, whoever they are out there. But, uh, uh, but yeah, these, these two, um, I mean, I don't want to differentiate them into identities, but um, they have provided me, as we laugh, as we gossip, we have found community. And we have been able to, because when you're gossiping, you're shit talking, right? And then yeah. you're like, okay, it's, all the dirty things are out. My dirty laundry is out. Let me just put in the other dirty laundry of how my family was this, how I was like this. And it slowly begin, like you have recognition, you have language, you address shame, and then you move ahead with hopefully becoming a person that is that can give to the community as well in an enriching way that can yeah. be a source of healing to others. I mean, that's the hope, right? Gossiping and laughing with your friends. It's also a form of storytelling which I, you know, therapy, writing, storytelling, like we're able to also, I feel like gossiping is the gateway to then kind of sneak in, like you said, sneak in like personal things about yourself or anecdotes about how you grew up, little details about your parents. You don't have to get into everything, but oh yeah, yeah, my dad used to do that. That was so annoying. And then as you peel back, you know, the onion, you get a little bit more and more until you're just more comfortable being open about who you are, how you have grown up being. And then that in a turn, this is why I love the podcast. And this is why I love um, storytelling in general. It's like you then demonstrating that shows other people, it's okay. You can also show up in this way. And that forms that deeper community. And and one thing that I constantly propose, and I think somehow the source of healing is obviously uh, a, 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 uh, a rebellion against capitalism. I think so much of our trauma comes from a capitalistic outlook and gossiping, laughing, self-care routine. All of these are like 
um, things that we that doesn't have a at least the way I'm proposing it it doesn't have like a very specific outcome right mm-hmm. what do you get from gossiping what do you get from laughing what do you get from uh, doing skincare every day sure you'll get benefits you know but you'll also have you know you will get acne of course gossiping is it doesn't do anything it's you're not like you know I, I, you know I hated that quote which said you know I forgot that quote like smart people talk about ideas Uh and you know other people talk about people and stuff (laughs) and I I don't like it I don't like it at all just like um, it's because it devalues something that women are using you know in in communities where it's so difficult to be women to empower themselves yeah gossiping is how they're sharing information gossiping is how they're connecting right yeah, and uh, we have to respect that because women had it have it hard. We have to recognize that, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm not saying this, you know, to to establish an agenda. I genuinely, truly feel, you know, it, it, you know, w- the receipts are out there. You just need to look. The receipts are there. People yeah. need to get those receipts. We're coming up on the closing the closing segment which is i'm not sorry and i mean there's a lot of things you've told me that you do that i feel like you're not sorry about but just in (laughs) case there are any lingering ones what kinds of things do you do when you're saying like i'm not sorry i'm just gonna go ahead and do this for myself right now Mm -hmm. Uh, i had a difficult time and i wouldn't name anybody or uh, i had a difficult time in a certain workplace when one of these supervisors somehow started behaving negatively to me. And then I was, I understood this man was cis male hetero. And I think there was issues around power. I think like I, I he felt that I was undermining his power, which was not the intention, but like um, that was how he saw, which is sad. But I think, I, I wouldn't apologize for my own power. I think marginalized people are constantly asked to be less flamboyant, less powerful, less this, less that, you know, just put it down a bit, you know. You have to be powerful because people will see the spirit in you, you know. Who is anyone else to um, to question that you have a presence, you know. It, it took me time to build this, you know. Yeah. It took me time and effort to... Um, build a sense of self you know I didn't have a sense of self at all and why am I supposed to lose this just because someone feels my you know femme presentation is threatening you know you know what just have some KFC or Bojangles you know? <laughs> have fast food do something go do something with yourself don't bring that <laughs> over here what makes you feel most powerful like where where are you in your most powerful self uh, the the day right after I take a hair wash, I feel powerful. <laughs> that's it. That's it. We that's love a hair day. wash day. A deep cleanse. <laughs> it it is true. You know, I'm not joking. I I, I feel um when I take care of myself and um I feel the most powerful, and I do it for myself within the confines of my room. Um, and uh, people sense that. People smell that. Mm. Uh, I know that uh, and it's not I'm not saying power in the sense that move away um, <laughs> but power in the sense that um, 
uh, I have uh, control over my own identity. I have a control over uh, my intention. Mm. And I have so many things that I haven't figured, but at least some of the, the fact that I can say something like I'm a proud queer man has taken me time. And yes. that's power. And because so many people will not say it, so many people will ask you to not say that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I feel sure identity power identitarian politics has its issues but it can also give you so much um, community presence and power and healing and healing power and healing yes um tell people where can they engage your work because you're a writer i'm sure i'm a writer to engage your writing also did you say you teach workshops where can we find it where can we find you oh uh i'm a heart i'm horrible i have no online presence thank you thank you thank you (laughs) But I have only on this podcast can we find you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like this would be my the reference point. Um, but I am on Instagram. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, that's one of the uh, just social media platform that I have. It's called Meme Yuki Twenty. Okay. Uh, M-A-Y-M-A-Y-U-K-I Twenty, and on Twitter, um, I share whenever. Um, there is a publication out. I share something there. So it's just at the rate Mayuk Barwa. And I'm currently trying to have a website done. I, I don't know. I have someone has to help me figure it out. But Somebody my... help, help. Me. <laughs> <laughs> you my... heard the call. Scooping community. <laughs> but my Instagram has my link tree. Okay. So I was at a party once and it was like a networking party and I didn't do any networking because I was like, oh my God, these people are crazy. Their writers shouldn't be networking. But um, I said, someone said, where can I find your work? And I said, my LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I have nothing else to show for. (laughs) This is so bad. It's so bad. You're too, you're too busy doing the work. Okay. You can't be, (laughs) you can't also be promoting it. You got to just do it. You're out here doing and that's that's beautiful you're taking care of your skin I mean what else yeah. can we ask for yeah and I think um thank you so much for this more than anything else thank you so much for doing this thank you so much for bringing people together who have uh, something to say because I think we still have a lacuna of BIPOC voices BIPOC LGBTQ voices out there and their experiences are, and that's what I tell my students you're experience are so personal and they are valid and important and they need to be heard and shared. This podcast is a labor of love and too often labor by black women happens without compensation. If anything in this episode resonated and if you're taking anything along with you today, please consider donating to our Patreon or sending funds via Venmo all information is available on that's no longer my ministry.com. Also, wherever you're listening to this episode, please consider subscribing and tuning in to next week's community release. Bye fam.